Good morning. Charlie, you doing good? Thank you for leading this morning. I'm looking forward to this morning because this comes off the heels of me being away this weekend, Friday and Saturday, with 40 men up in the mountains uh, on a purity weekend. It was awesome. And um, back during my clinical depression days, I could take naps all the time because I was on so many different medications, but now I have a hard time taking naps. And since Sam's been born, he's 13. I can't sleep past like 20 minutes. I slept three and a half hours yesterday at a retreat because that's just how much, I mean, God just, he did a lot on an emotive level. And it was a, a men's weekend on purity. And it just reinforced to me how big of a deal vulnerability is. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, you're messed up to some degree. I saw some wives like lock eyes with their husbands. There's Chris right there. He was there this weekend. Um, you know, sometimes you get wrecked with, like, the presence of God. And that happens, and it is real. Like in worship, sometimes you feel like you can't even move. And then other times you just get wrecked by other people's vulnerability. And I do believe that one of the staples of Bridgeway is that we go after the Father with our whole hearts. And I know that we are redeemed and forgiven and Colossians 1, 21, 22, we're as clean as Jesus. I get it. But Paul also says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Everyone's in process. No one really likes to be around someone that acts like they don't have something they're processing. Well, someone's always, I got to be careful. I, I just, I don't like being around um, fakeness. And some, you know, sometimes you can be going after the Father, pursuing Him with your whole heart, in love with Him, and still has some things you just need a lot of help on. You know, one of the great prayers to God is, I, I need you to help me. Because He didn't come to save the healthy. Y'all, y'all aren't listening. It is so quiet in here. He came to help sick people. Okay, so let's, let's say a, um, an addict walks down here, doesn't know the Lord maybe found Bridgeway Internet or a friend and uh, says yes to Jesus and confesses 12 addictions, we'll give him a standing ovation. Bridgeway would. Let someone in Christ or someone on staff here do the same thing and everybody's like. You know, just Paul says it this way, as you receive Christ Jesus, so continue to walk in him. I don't need Jesus just to get me into heaven. I need Jesus to save me from myself about seven times a day. But the way you step into that is you just admit you're not there yet. There's great paradox in the kingdom. I'm I'm as clean as Jesus and I'm a co-heir, but I'm also a ragamuffin. And the, the ragamuffins I like to be around are the ragamuffins that know they're ragamuffins. Now, vulnerability is not the goal. If vulnerability was the goal, every inmate in prison would be my hero. Vulnerability is the first step towards transformation. 
But once you become vulnerable and you say, this is who I am and I, I need Jesus to help me, that's when grace flows in. Grace finds the lowest places. Grace finds the confession of what you're not. And a lot of spirit-filled people only want to walk around and talk about who they are all the time. I'm redeemed. I'm blood-bought. I got the power to raise the dead. Well, have you raised the dead? But no, but I got the power to. I think it's great to know who we are, but a lot of times you just need to remind yourself who you're not. Because when you remind yourself who you're not, you're really reminding yourself that you need a savior. And you don't just need saving from going to hell. You need saving from yourself, from your bitter attitude. So don't be quoting all the time about having the mind of Christ when your mouth sounds like the devil. If I am becoming more critical of the people around me, it it doesn't make me an evil person. It's just a timeout to say, why am I becoming so critical? Because if I'm worshiping a father that I say that I'm in love with, but I project everything on other people minus him, there's a disconnection. And the disconnection, the only answer to that disconnection is not high challenge from him. It's love. Those of us who are very critical towards other people, we're critical towards ourselves even more. And this weekend with Chris and a bunch of other guys up in the mountains, we talked a little bit about the difference between AA meetings and what we were doing. In an AA meeting, the first step is to identify with your addiction. And we shifted a little bit this weekend to say, my name is Chad. I am a beloved child of the tender father. Now here is what I'm processing. And I, I remember the name of the organization. It was called Cross Training in 1993. And then 1994, I worked with Cross Point for a few years. In the last 20 years, I've done at least, at least 250 retreats, at least probably way more. I just don't want to exaggerate. It is a bunch. I mean, I was doing them all summer for all these summers where people would come in and I would make a living by going and leading these retreats. And I I have never seen a retreat where more vulnerable men than this weekend. I've never seen it. And it relit a fire in me, not to just have a hunger for the Father, but to have a hunger for each other and to be patient with each other and vulnerable with each other. Here's what the enemy does with men, and I don't think women understand this. It, It seems to be like a vice for us. Men tend to isolate and convince ourselves that we're the only one going through something. And so we get 40 men in a room and it just started snowballing vulnerability. You know, one person's courage to be vulnerable is another person's courage for them to be vulnerable. And and if you're not careful in spirit filled living, it's like, I just need to get in the presence of the Lord. No, sometimes you need to get in the presence of other people. And I want to say this, this is from him and I have never said it or read it, but a lot of spirit filled people that pursue his presence are really running from other people. I'm serious. Sometimes you don't need to soak and you don't need to journal and you don't need to be introspective. You need to go to someone and say, my name is Chad and uh, I'm not all that. And do you mind helping me just work through this stuff? Typically with someone you know, that works better if you know them. (laughs) Go through the Chick-fil-A line, how can I help you? Well, (laughs) now that you asked... Will you hand me that water, babe? Um, I just, you can chunk it. I'll catch it. I just, um, I just coming off a weekend to where it got real. Let me say to wives of men that went, be patient with your men when they come back. 
You know, you got to be careful. A lot of times what we call high challenge, it's not challenge, you're being critical of someone. And what you're really saying is you think you're better than they are. Apart from the blood of Christ, you deserve the worst part in hell. And so do I. My breakthrough does not come by my abiding. My breakthrough only comes from grace. The only thing that, the only thing I can attribute, any, anything in my life that I see as worthy or good, it has nothing to do with my merit. And so if we're going to continue to push out a culture of vulnerability here, when you're connected to someone that, that is going to take a chance with you and be vulnerable with, you only have a small window. That first reaction, you can either launch into a destiny deep into the Father's heart or you can cut your spouse off forever. And I'm just saying, uh, you might need to go get some counseling with that and just be open to the idea that you, apart from the blood of Christ, are wretched yourself. Probably should slow down on throwing stones. Because here's the deal. The men that I was with this weekend, I, I was like, I could give the rest of my life to this. I would have to go get training on how to emotively deal with it because it's so deep. But Bridgeway's not just going to be a place where Praise the Lord, brother, here's nine breakthrough stories, and we're going after signs and wonders. I love all that. I love it. I also love going after people's hearts, and you can't get there unless you go through vulnerability. If I'm in a season where I am struggling with being a little more critical, take a time out from that and intentionally don't criticize anything. And just withdraw into the Father's heart to say, why am I not seeing the best in people? And I, I have a gauge with me. I know when that thing is rising up in me. And every single time when I'm not seeing the best in people, there's just a little disconnection. You know, man's first move after sin was to hide. Yep. That's right. Let's take a look at that, Genesis 3. After sin, his first move is to hide and blame. Because when shame sets in, and it sets in on all of us, our first reaction is anti-vulnerability. And so we want to go hide, blame someone, not own anything. And then, then, if you're, if you're walking with God, which these, both these can happen at the same time, a lot of times we just say, I just need a season where I'm just really bonding with him. When he's saying, that's interesting because I, I need a season where you're bonding with other people. He gave us each other to help expose his heart. You, you know, being a monk is good for a while. You can get really close. When I go to Haiti, I mean, it's just so much time with the Father. It's incredible. But you don't just need an encounter with the Father. You need an encounter with a brother and an encounter with a sister. And, and when you find someone in your life that knows the worst about you and will hang in there with you and walk it out, you find a treasure that very few people ever find. And you can't find that in the secret place with the Father. Man, I, I didn't go there this morning, but the secret place of the Father, if you're not careful, can be a cop-out. All I need is you, God. Really? If that's true, then why did God give Adam Eve? If God was enough for Adam, then why did he give him Eve? All you, all you need is God. Really? How about that book, God Was Not Enough for Adam? Even in the beginning, it does not say, let me make man in my image. Let us. He's an us God. God is community. He created you for community. He created me for community. In my darkest spot in my heart, the part that Leif Hetland calls the black spot on the heart, I am prone to be like a hobbit. 
And I, you, I think I, have, you, I can convince people I have a lot of acquaintances when really I just want to withdraw. We were playing some prophetic games at the beach, and I said one of my answers to the question, I was like, holy smokes, I need to process some stuff. Because my answer was, I just want to go away with God for about two years. That seems so holy. Oh, brother, you're so reverent. Mm-mm, I'm running for something, and I'm just kind of digging. What am I running from? If we're running from people, it doesn't mean we're terrible. It just means there's some hurt in there. God could, he designed us. Our DNA is to connect with each other. Here's the problem, though. It's hard to connect with someone else when you see the worst of yourself. You're covering yourself in shame, and you're just going to hold on to this stuff. Man's first move after sin was to hide. The Father's desire for you is to expose what you're hiding, and then he will conceal you in his love, Psalm 91. But if I'm hiding, what happens is, every single time, the enemy will come in and expose what you're hiding in a way that shouldn't be exposed. Exposure is from the Father. The, the design of it is to say, I, I just come clean. Here I am. Help me, wretched sinner that I am, in that story that Jesus told. But what we do is we put on these masks, we create these pseudo-personalities, and we perform and we strive, and it's almost like we have split personalities. We can get to the presence of the Father and worship Him, but, but, but it's almost like there's three or four other of us and it's not, it's not because we're terrible people. It's because we've learned the art of hiding. And vulnerability says this, Father, this is who I am, and I just give all this to you. And it says to your two or three closest friends, this is who I am. The person that can live in a state of vulnerability never stays where he or she is. True vulnerability will lead to transformation, a greater degree of holiness, a greater degree of wholeness. The only way to wholeness is through vulnerability, but it's not just with him, it's with each other. And this is the passage right here. This is everything God showed me this weekend. It just started snowballing. One man shared his story. The next man shared his story. I had to take a three and a half hour nap. I'm on my face. And the father showed me. He got to some places in my heart that I had even closed up. We're not designed to live like this. We're designed to live like a kite. Fly me, Holy Spirit. Take me high and whip the wind. But instead it's like, well... That's just not safe. It's not safe when you're hiding something. Y'all have no idea how good this is. You're not listening to me. All right. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You're not going to die, serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. What's their first move? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You were born into a human race that apart from Jesus Christ, we just big time trouble. The, the flesh side of things, we are prone to wander and hide. And it takes an incredibly courageous person to do the opposite. I'm going to take my time to get here. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They, they recognized this sound because they had already been walking with God. And before sin, I mean, what are they doing? They're not interceding for anything. They're not getting breakthrough. They're not going after God, brother. They're enjoying God. You know, Jesus coming to Calvary had more to do with you getting back into Eden than shooting off into outer space one day when you die. The Father has always... Okay, I'm, I'm going to go slow. When you know the nature of someone, you can always predict his or her behavior. The Father did not become nice and communal at the cross. He's always been nice. He didn't become palatable to human beings at the cross. A lot of Reformed theology, it is all about God's wrath being satisfied. And if you read it long enough, it's like, well, it's not even about me in the first place. It was only for him and about him. Listen... A lot of that is true, and so is the fact that he also did it for you. He thought of you, but I'm saying, why? Well, so you can go to heaven when you die. You missed the whole point of Calvary. The whole point of Calvary was getting you back into Genesis 1 and 2, where you walk with the Father in the cool of the day, not going after him. God told me a few years ago, quit saying you're, you're, you're doing something for me. Say you're doing something with me. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. They were friends before sin. They make a mistake and they cover themselves. Shame comes in. The enemy loves shame and he feasts upon it. Then if I'm a spirit-filled follower of Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, I probably should not feast upon shame in myself or anyone else. I don't want to be a part of something where you're going after God in here, but secretly we're just critical of other people constantly if I'm promoting shame on anyone, it is an indication that, number one, I need to ask, am I born again? And number two, why is there such a disconnection between me and the loving one? Now watch what happens after sin. Verse 9. The Lord God, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put you here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay. Tozer says this, whatever you think about when you think about God, I'll tell you everything about your life. I want you to look because... We don't just need everything to be prophesied around here. Go to the written word of God, and it'll show you what his nature is like. His nature did not show up at the cross. His nature showed up in Genesis 1-1. Okay, watch what happens. The first, I, did, I have never thought about this or read this until yesterday when I woke up from my nap. The first person that he talks to about the situation is not Adam and it's not Eve. He asked questions to Adam and Eve, which will really get your theology spinning. He, where are you? He asked questions of, to Adam and Eve, but then, because every single time, sin does come with consequences. When it comes time for him to discuss the consequences of their bad actions, who is the first one he talks to? The serpent. Whatever in the kingdom, whatever you believe about him will become your reality. If you believe he is sadistic and out to get you, it is amazing how that will manifest in your life. So when I was in seminary, my professor of theology was a man named Fisher Humphreys. In theology, this was his definition of theology. Theology is thinking about God. So what is bad theology? 
thinking incorrect thoughts about God. How does Satan destroy people? If Satan had all the power right now in the world, why not come in here and kill us right now? He does not have that authority. The only authority he has is the same way he acted in Genesis 3. He desires to give you horrendous theology, and we fall for it hook, line, sinker. I personally believe that 95% of evangelicals on earth today do not have any clue how kind God is. I'm going to prove it in the scriptures how kind he is. A lot of people have a theology that he came in there with machetes and kicked them out of the garden. Hang on a second. Hang on. He goes after the enemy real quick and says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He goes after the enemy first. And then, just like we learned this weekend, even though our sin is covered and the Father loves us, even our mistakes bring consequences, even in the new covenant. He looks at Eve and he says this, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe and with painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground and sense that you were taken. For dust you were to dust, and you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothed them. Hang on a second. Whoa. This is the first shocking move of grace we see in the Bible. Hang on a second. Do you picture God just yelling at Adam and Eve or do you picture the father through tears making these garments? What if you knew that tears were in his eyes as he's making these garments? How you see things affects everything in the kingdom. Remember Alice, she's in the story, she's reading a book with her sister and the little white rabbit comes by and she notices the white rabbit goes into a hole and she's curious and curiosity led her to the hole and she goes down into the hole and when she gets down into the hole, she just keeps exploring and she keeps exploring. For some of you in here, you've had some curiosity about this God figure. You've been trying to figure him out. And then somewhere along the way, you read a book, you heard a sermon, you heard a song and you just said, I think he might be differently than, wired differently than I thought he was. And his kindness leads you to another revelation. And before you know it, you're laid out on the floor. You're having dreams about him. And you hear him singing songs over you at night. Theology is not something. It's everything. Whatever you think about when you think about God is everything. Thinking about God is the doorway to either hell or heaven on earth. If you don't even know that the Father has provided a way for you to get back into even, you can't get there. Most theology is trying to get people into heaven. I'm trying to get people into Eden. We sing songs. Dun, 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 dun. When this life is over, I'll fly away. I don't want to fly away. The Father doesn't want me in heaven right now. I want to fly around that rabbit hole and t- talk a bunch of other people getting back into Genesis 1 and 2. The cross of Calvary was not because God decided to be nice. He had the plan in place even before we were born. What drove Jesus to Calvary? The kindness of the Father. Why would you butcher your own son 
for someone you hate because he didn't hate Adam and Eve. He still doesn't hate Adam and Eve. He doesn't hate people. He loves people. So what does Satan do? Okay, we got a problem on our hands. We got a problem. Jesus is now ascended and Stephen's doing the works and Peter's doing all this stuff. And, and who is this Paul figure? We got to snuff this thing out. We got to snuff it out. Satan realized he couldn't defeat the church. So he just joined the church and he gets horrific theology behind most pulpits. And we, and all of a sudden we're thinking thoughts for thousands of years about a God that doesn't even exist. There are so many churches that are worshiping God and the God's like, I don't even know who they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about. Well, you know, the father's so mean, but Jesus is nice. The father made garments for Adam and Eve after a pretty horrific sin. You got two options when you blow it. Hide or say, here I am. Here I am. I got tired of hiding at 28. For most people, you can make it till about 27 to 32. And counselors have figured out that you have your first meltdown between those ages. Because we stuff it down, and we stuff it down, and we stuff it down. And all of a sudden, you say, I can't stuff it down anymore. And you go to them saying, I deserve to be killed. And you give them your stuff. And all you see is the teary-eyed Jehovah making garments for you, saying, I thought about you. When you were on the cross, I thought about you. I thought about you. You're in my mind. Angels marvel at you. I love the way you're made. I love the way you talk. I love your jokes. I'll never forget when I got received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was driving down a road in Spartanburg. And I said, Lord, I know that I'm righteous and I'm learning all this stuff. But what do you think about me? He said, we think you're funny. I was like, wait a minute. You're God. You're not supposed to laugh. What do you mean? I said, you laugh? I'm just telling you the truth. You don't have to believe me. I don't care anymore. It, I heard him laugh. We're going to get to heaven. You're going to be in shock at like, wait a minute. So many people preach too that you're going to stand before him and he's going to ask you all these questions. You're going to get there. He's going to be laughing. He's going to have a celebration plan for you. You're going to meet people in your family that have gone before you and you're just going to stare at him saying, I thought you were good. I have no idea. Ask Job. Job said it. I had, I had heard about you. I had read about you. Now I have seen you. I don't even know what to say. When, when the apostle Paul got yanked up into the third heaven, a lot of scholars believe it was when he got stoned, not the stone, but like stone. <laughs> and he came back. You know what he said from that point on? He was like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. My, okay, so he writes this. I pray that you would experience his love. Although you, you, you never will. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to say this anymore. Then John goes to Patmos. What does John say? When's the last time you've been around something so good you were speechless? But how come we don't talk about the Father that way? Well, brother, I'm just in a season of challenge. Okay, all right. Okay, well, then Paul and Silas were in a season of challenge, and they can't stop worshiping and celebrating, and they weren't celebrating to get out of prison. You only know you're with Papa when, when storms aren't even storms anymore. I had someone come and profess over me an attack about a, two months ago that was going to come on me. I didn't even tell any of my friends. And I was just like, you know what? If you'd told me that 10 years ago, it kind of wigged me out. I just said, bring it on. Because this is what Psalm 91 says, those who dwell with him. The word dwells to lean back. And he prepares for me a, a, a table in the presence of all the attacks. A lot of people go to spirit-filled living because they just want some keys to have breakthrough. The whole breakthrough is the moment you realize that he created you to bless you. Let me read this. My, 
Hebrew professor at Beeson Divinity School. He's the smartest person I've ever met in my life. His name is Dr. Ken Matthews. Kenneth Matthews teaches Old Testament and Hebrew. His book, The Paleo-Hebrew Leviticus Scroll, that is not a joke. That is his book. My book, <laughs> Signs, Wonders, and a Hungry Baptist Preacher for Tacos, his is The Paleo-Hebrew Leviticus Scroll. Was the first full study of the Leviticus Dead Sea Scroll. He is the author of Genesis 1 through 1126. All right, let me keep going. He also wrote Leviticus, Holy God, Holy People. I mean, it's just amazing how brilliant he is. And then it keeps going to say he has the number one commentary on the book of Leviticus. I can hardly even read Leviticus, much less do a commentary on it. I walked up to him one day. He's so smart. It's unnerving. And all, the, all my classmates were scared of him. I snapped one day. I couldn't take it anymore. I walked up there. And I said, Dr. Matthews, why did God make us? And he stared at me and he took his glasses off. And he started to clean them. And I thought, this could, this could be the end right here. This could be it. <laughs> and he said, uh, why'd you marry your wife? And I was like, I feel like I'm in one of those Jesus stories where he tricks them, you know. <laughs> he said, come back to me at the end of the semester and I'll answer your question. So at the end of the semester, I came back, walked right up to him. Do you remember my question? I remember your question. Non-charismatic, smarter than Moses. He's so smart, I'm telling you, I, I can't describe to you how smart this man is. This is what he says to me. He says, God created man to bless him, Barak in Hebrew. God created us to bless us. That would get me fired from 80% of churches in this city. Good news for them. I'm not at those churches. I'm right here. <laughs> what do you mean God created me to bless me? Here's what I mean. I mean God created you to bless you. He can't, they can't help it. They can't help it. That's who they are. Let us make man in our image. Adam, where are you? I was scared of you. I think, that, I think it's the first time the father's heart was broken in his relationship with Adam. You're scared of me. Oh, Adam, do you realize the escort out of the garden was to their benefit and ours? Can you imagine living forever in this state? He's so good that he, he already had in his mind slaughtered Jesus before Adam and Eve made the mistake. He's never going to stop making garments, even if you never expose yourself before him. Even if you hide, he'll still pursue you. I'm just simply saying there comes a point where you say, I'm tired of hiding. So here I am. What you conceal gets exposed by the enemy. What you expose before the Father, he conceals for your own protection and your own good. Vulnerability is not just a big deal for each other. It's a big deal between us. You want to know why? Because he wants to know you as much as you know him. What the Father desires is deep friendship. There is no friendship if you don't know somebody. And even though he knows the hairs on your head, he's wired us for us to tell him things. A lot of people pray as though Jesus never went to the cross. A few years ago, I, I lit a candle and went upstairs, got on my knees and started confessing things. And he said, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, what are you doing? The Father, desi he's designed us to walk with him. I'm just telling you, 
I don't care what things you've done. I don't care how bad you think you are. He, he is not threatened by that like you think. You've been hearing a voice your whole life, and it's not the voice of the Father. It's that same serpent. Here's what happened to that serpent. The serpent was destroyed by the blood at Calvary. And there's like a big party in heaven, and so many of his saints don't know what's available to us. Some of us only feel close to God if we've done a few things. I can't do anything to earn anything from him. And so when I mess up and I blow it, I say, I think pastors need to hear this message as much as anyone. Because if you're not careful, you think you're like responsible for, you're kind of like on another level above other people between Jesus. That is not true. That is not true at all. I think the reason so many pastors burn out and can't stay in the ministry very long is because they just hide all the time. They just hide. Sometimes you need to tell the Father, I don't want to preach this morning. I'm tired. Sometimes you need to tell the Father, instead of hiding it, tell the Father that your kids are driving you crazy. He'll probably laugh and say, yeah, they drive me crazy sometimes too. People have a hard time understanding that God desires relationship. You can't really be close to someone that you always feel like you can't be yourself around. Is there anything worse? I'll close here. Is there anything worse than being around someone you don't feel like you can be yourself with? It's like you're on eggshells. That's how most people are with God. He made garments. When you know the nature of someone, you can always predict their behavior. And he already had the plan in place to crush that serpent before the mistake was made. If he made garments for them, he'll make garments for you. There's only one thing, as Gary said last week, God's iffy. He's an iffy God. There's one thing that he likes. Just don't do the fig leaf thing. And when someone close to you decides to get rid of their fig leaves, perhaps what you call wisdom and discipline is really a critical spirit, and the only reason you're judging them is because you're covered in leaves yourself. It's hard to judge someone else when you're bare-naked emotionally before God. Ooh. All right. I am so hungry. Let's stand up. I just feel like from the Father that he loves it when we sing that song, Good, Good Father. But he also wants us to be good, good to each other. And he wants a place at Bridgeway where we don't just talk about how good he is. Let's be good to each other. And I just feel like the big takeaway from today is don't, don't put on fig leaves towards him or towards each other. Father, I thank you that just of what vulnerability means, and I pray that vulnerability would never be the goal at Bridgeway. I pray that transformation would be the goal, but I do bless this house in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, with the grace for vulnerability.